Oh, just as uh, you just heard Rick sharing, this is going to be a, a different sort of a year for us. But I do also believe very strongly that the Lord has got good things in store for us. And, and you know what? It's interesting that the text that we're in in 2 Corinthians, some of the things that Paul writes about to this young church in, in the city of Corinth, uh, they actually apply very well with where we stand right now in this transition process that we're just walking into. And, uh, you know, like I said, yeah, this is going to be a bit of an unsettled, uncertain time. But I also believe very strongly that it's going to be a time of opportunity and, and seeing what new things God has got for us. And uh, as I was uh, just thinking about the text I'm going to be walking through, uh, I was remembering years ago as a teen, I went on uh, as a part of camp ministry. I was on a 100-mile uh, canoe trip across northern, Can uh, northern Saskatchewan a number of river systems and lakes, and it was a great week. And, uh, and you know what? We had a guide who was great and took really good care of us. He had maps of the rivers, and, and he knew where the rapids were and which ones we could go through and which ones we had to walk around. And, and he only got one thing wrong. At the very end, we were, we were going to join another river and canoe for five more miles, and then we were going to meet uh, our rides home. With the, uh, with the trailers and everything for all of the canoes. When we got to that junction point and we turned right, right to go in the direction of where the cars were, we realized the river was going in the wrong direction. <laughs> and it was swift. And so we tried. We got into our canoes and we started paddling and paddling and paddling and none of us could make any headway. So we finally turned around. We went back to the to the junction point and there was a bridge and our leader walked to the top and he, while we waited, he walked the five miles to meet the cars and to bring them to meet us. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I was just thinking, you know, right now, it's given where we are right now, but this whole last year and a half that's just gone past us, you know, we have had no shortage of challenges. You know, I, I, none of us can think of or can forget COVID-19. In fact, it's not over. It's still a worldwide challenge. We're in a great place in Canada, and I really hope that we don't get shut down anymore. But there really still aren't guarantees that that's not going to happen. And, you know, man, we had constant changes, and we had friction, and we had frustration, and... and People died, and, and we had closers of our, of our facility, and praise the Lord, most of it we were able to keep on meeting here, but we had online, and, and we made everything work, and, and I, I do remember in December, our children's ministry director, Jennifer Zilstra, came to me and said, Rod, can you just give me four weeks where you don't make any changes? <laughs> Please, just give me four weeks. I said, okay, I promise I'll give you four weeks, unless I have to. <laughs> you know what? I, that's just one thing. I also believe we are right now in a new time in our world. I call it ideology control. You know, we are living in a time where, where we have a real enemy who is intent on what I believe is the destruction of the image of God in our world. And it's driven by our enemy. You know, we have revision of history going on. And children's curriculum, school's curriculum is being changed. 
and history being rewritten because of, of ideological uh, leanings. You know, we've got control of the, and censorship of our media. In fact, I, I, I'm getting to the point where I say we don't have news anymore. We just have targeted opinions and, and, and a lot of force and pressure for us to, to comply with it. Diversity, that was a big word a while ago, has been replaced by wokeness. Now, if you're over 40 years old, you may have to look that up in the dictionary like I did, uh, but it is in the Urban Dictionary. But, uh, you know, we've got affluence in our Western society that endorses greed. We have this idea that immediate gratification is our entitlement, it's our right, and that's the message we're receiving. You know, in, in marriages today, if it's not working out, I'll just go get another spouse. And parents and kids especially, wow. You know, you've got the pressure and the manipulation of social media to conform. And, and there are, you know, there are gender fluidity. There's tidal waves of choices. And, and I just, I have seen over this last year the stresses and strains that you as parents are facing. And then we have this transition. And, and you know, an article that I recently read said that when a pastor leaves, there are three types of people, sad, mad, and glad. And you know what, I, I probably today, all three of those groups are represented here. That's just the reality. It's where we stand. But you know what, this time of transition will present us with challenges. But this can be a time for us of drawing together in unity. Or it can be a time of pulling apart in division. I hope that we choose unity. And so the first thing I want to talk about this morning is that there is a battle for human hearts. And in our, if you want to turn in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to be walking through the chapter quite quickly and just kind of highlighting the text. And Paul writes, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this mystery, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that declares and displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Paul's message today in these verses is powerful. And his message is Jesus plus nothing. And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and he, he says this, he says, I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So why did Paul focus so much on Jesus? Well, it's because Jesus is the center of the gospel. It's the cross, and it's the resurrection, and it's the ascension. In fact, Jesus is the center of all history. Before Christ, all of history was, was leading up and God was preparing for Jesus' coming. And now we are in kind of the waiting period of the second kingdom, of the, of the coming kingdom growing amongst us and that God is going to bring to pass in our future. It's the heart. 
You know, and every time we share the message of the gospel, we give people an opportunity to choose him and to choose eternal life. And every time we pass, they miss an opportunity for life. And that's why Paul was so adamant saying, I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ crucified. He says there's a God of this world. There is a real battle. Years ago when I had a small business in Saskatchewan, winter in Saskatchewan is even colder than in Grand Prairie. And, and I remember my truck was in at a shop being repaired over the weekend, and Monday morning I went and... I went to get my truck and it was parked outside. It had been snowing and sleeting and, and it was just covered with ice. And I only had a, one block to go to travel to the veterinary clinic where I often went because of my business. And so I thought, well, I'll just chisel away a little bit at the ice and then I'll drive there and leave the, the truck running and it'll all melt. And so that's what I did. And as I pulled in onto the parking lot of the veterinary clinic, that's when I saw those bright red and blue lights behind me. <laughs> and I watched, uh, looked out, and I, the officer was coming up, and I rolled down my window a little ways. It was cold. And, and he says, uh, sir, do you know why I pulled you over today? And I said, no, I have no idea. And he said, you can't see. <laughs> you may have been louder than that. And he said, you didn't help yourself. You drove right past the detachment and didn't stop at the stop sign right on the corner as I stood there. And he said, then you rolled through the four-way stop. <laughs> I said, oh. <laughs> so what do you say? <laughs> uh, so he walked back to his car and he came back. This was on the 27th of December, just after Christmas. I don't know what made him think the way that he did, but he came back and he, I rolled down my window again. He said, I'm, I'm going to give you a warning today. He says, but can you please take the time to clean your windows? I said, okay. I said, and have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> you know, I, I deserved, like it was dumb. But, you know, and I, I really, I could not see. I rolled down my window just so I could see if there was cars coming the other direction. But uh, uh, as I was rolling through the stop sign. <laughs> but you know what? It, it, it illustrates what Paul's talking about here. That people, because there's an enemy, he has blinded their, their minds. He's blinded their spiritual eyes. You know, our enemy has one purpose, and his purpose is to destroy Everything that God loves and people and his church are God's most prized possessions. And he is doing everything that he can to destroy people and to destroy God's mission. He doesn't want people to see Jesus. And you know, Paul's description here may have been somewhat reminiscent for, of his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. And although Paul could see physically perfectly well, he had been blinded from the spiritual truth. He was as religious as they come, and yet naively and zealously he had been persecuting Christians. He had vowed to destroy them in any way possible. And unknowingly, Paul had actually been an instrument of Satan. But in one magnificent moment, Jesus Christ had broken through Satan's deception 
and had revealed the truth to Paul. And you know what, folks? Whether people respond or not, it does not take away from the truth and the power of the message. John wrote of this about the enemy. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he's speaking his native tongue, for he's a liar and the father of lies. It began in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted Eve, and his temptation was, did God really say you can't eat all of the, from all the trees in the garden? And what he was doing was creating doubt in whether or not Eve could trust God. And she was blinded. Now, I'd like to just insert here that Satan's not only working to try to keep people from coming to Christ, he never stops trying to damage our ability to see or to know and experience God's love and his forgiveness and the joy of clear consciences and relationships with others that are fueled by Christ's presence. And, and Peter warned the church of his day, he said, be, be self-controlled and alert. Our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The next few months, as you heard Rick sharing, we are going to be making some time to pray together in large groups, in small groups, hopefully in your life groups. Everywhere that we can pray, we are going to take time to pray together. And as he said, we're going to evaluate our needs. If there are some changes we need to make, we're going to make those changes. And, and then we're going to prepare ourselves for our search for our lead, next lead pastor. And you know what? I know that the enemy is going to try to disrupt us. And so I want to ask each one of you, would you pray for unity for our church during this time? And would you pray for protection and pray for the power of the Spirit to draw us together as a body? Like I said earlier, I believe that this is a time of opportunity to move forward together. And then as Paul goes on, he talks about the power of light. You know, darkness itself doesn't exist. It's just the state or the absence of light. If you add light, darkness automatically starts to disappear. Darkness cannot overcome light. And so Paul says, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, at creation, God said, let light shine out of darkness. And instantly, there was light everywhere. I sometimes look at some of the photos that we get of nebulae and and the whole, whole parts of the, of the universe, and the amazing light, and the amazing uh, constellations, and, and it's just awesome. And, and it, oh, God just spoke that into being. He spoke light, and it existed. And Paul compares that creative act and its power to the light of the truth that Jesus embodied. 
Paul said, the light that now shines in my heart is the knowledge of the glory of God as it was displayed in the face of Christ who has come from the presence of heaven itself. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the experience of Peter and James and John when Jesus took them up on the mountain and they experienced his transfiguration and they actually saw Jesus in his full glory and, and the, the descriptions that they give, I'm sure that they can't even begin to describe the amazing light of, of Jesus in his glory. Or Paul, when he saw Jesus on the road on the way to Damascus as he was going to kill Christians and it was so bright that he was actually blinded by the light of Jesus. And that was just the visual sense of it. The entire experience must have been absolutely overwhelming. You know what? One of the legacies that Pastor Anthony has left behind was leading us into renewal. We call it changing hearts and changing lives. And it began with us as elders as we went to Southland Church three years ago. And then we began to send more people. And, and out of that grew our, our courses on hearing God, learning how to actually hear God speak to us and set free and soul care and the way mentoring uh, with our abide and our grow courses. And you know what? Hundreds of us have entered into a new place and a new presence with God through the power of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through this. We're seeing souls healed. We're seeing lies dispelled. We're seeing hope returning into people's lives and lives changed and transformed. But you know what? With everything that we're doing, and Paul goes on to talk about clay vessels and amazing treasures, and the one point that he has in there is it's not about us. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, his very first sentence is, it's not about you. <laughs> I thought, well, that's a rather rude way to start the book. But it was true. And, and he goes on and he says this, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you are placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. If you want to know why you are placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. We have this treasure, the very presence of Christ and the power of God to transform our lives and it, we have it inside of us. It's living and active inside of us. You know, in ancient times, it was customary to use very ordinary clay vessels and clay jars to hide uh, treasures, to conceal valuable things. And because those clay jars and vessels, they really looked ordinary and they would not draw any attention to the precious contents that they had inside of them. An 
uh, many years ago, uh, there was this amazing discovery. At, it's called the Qumran Caves, and you might know of them as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, a young goat herder was uh, on the Judean hillside above the Dead Sea, and he found this cave, and he wandered in, and, and he came across this treasure trove of copies of the New Testament. And, and, and not just one or two, hundreds of copies and fragments. It's the single biggest find of biblical, uh, biblical uh, manuscripts in the history of, of the, the New Testament. And it was all inside of these clay jars. And some of them by then, they were smashed, they were broken, even pulverized. But the contents were intact. And they've been amazing as scholars have used them to understand what exactly the authors of the New Testament wrote. You know what? Jesus picks ordinary people to do extraordinary things for his purposes. When I look at, you know, from a business or corporate perspective of the team that Jesus chose <laughs> for his business enterprise, which was the church, he, he picked fire, uh, fishermen. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, the son of Zebedee, they were all fishermen. You know, Peter, he was impulsive. James and John, they had anger issues. <laughs> At one point they said, Jesus, should we call down fire on heaven and just roast those guys? You know, and, uh, and they were serious. He called Matthew a tax collector, one of the most hated things you could be as a Jew. And he called a zealot, and he called a thief. And then there was Paul. He was a late team draft. And, and uh, he was hardcore religious. He's a persecutor. He was bent on destroying Christians in the church. All of them. Clay pots. But God chose them. And with his power, they turned the whole world upside down with the message of Jesus. You know what? None of us qualify in ourselves to represent the amazing treasure of the gospel of Jesus, but all of us are qualified by Jesus. Jesus picks ordinary people to do extraordinary things for his purposes. And then Paul goes on and says, <laughs> no one says it's easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. You know, in the conclusion of one of Winston Churchill's most famous speeches, it was given at Har Harrow's Boy School at Great Britain, as Great Britain was battling Nazi Germany in 1941. It could have been taken right out of the Apostle Paul's writings. And this was the end of his speech. He said, never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never get in, give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. <laughs> Message clear? <laughs> Never give in. Even if it's overwhelming. Paul wrote, he said, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. 
We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. You know, the challenges and the opposition that Paul faced were incredible. Like, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was stoned, he was jailed, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he was snake bit. Uh, if it could happen, and if it was tough, Paul went through it. But he never gave up. And you know what, friends, when we face incredible odds, or even get to the, when we get to the very end of ourselves, whether it's our strength or our emotions or our capacity, you know what? Often it's then that we recognize we cannot do it in our own strength. And that's when the endless capacity of Christ shines through. And that strength has always been with us. The light shines through. John the Baptist, when he was asked about Jesus, said he must increase and I must decrease. As we give up more and more of our self-interests, our self-satisfaction, our self-centered demands, the more the power of Christ's life shines through us more and more brightly and more clearly. As Paul described the process of living less and less for himself, he said that the light of Christ could come and could shine through more. You know, friends, as more and more of us, as we allow it to be stripped away, more of the light of Christ shows through. You know, a couple of years ago, I love what our, our, our team working with our services, they do all so many creative things to just kind of... Uh, enhance our, our worship experience and know the extra things are not necessary but they sure are nice and I know a couple of years ago these light panels appeared on their stage and I have one that's behind us right now and, and, and they were glowing I think it was blue the very first time that I saw them and I thought wow that is cool those light boxes are really awesome and as the executive pastor my next thought was how much did that cost <laughs> and I thought I didn't sign a rec form for that. <laughs> and, uh, but no worries, <laughs> because they cost almost nothing. In fact, uh, the, the, the frame that we've got here is just, it's a wooden frame, and it's got opaque plastic that, uh, that makes up the big white frame. But you know, as you add light to the back of it, you see the light beginning to grow and the light starts shining through. And when they've got it done up really well, we just put one, one light there. But it, it draws attention to that center, doesn't it? To the, to the light shining through. And uh, really, that's an illustration of what happens when we set ourselves aside and the light of Christ is allowed to shine through us. You know, if you want to consider asking Jesus this question, I want to ask you to do it. Jesus, what do you want me to move out of the way in my life so that you shine through? You know what? If we ask him stuff and listen, he does respond. And then Paul moves on. He says, our obedience is going to result in glory and gratitude. 
says, as it's written, I believed and therefore I've spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. And all of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Friends, if we truly believe that we are carriers of the most valuable treasure in the world and that its owner's greatest pleasure would be that we share it, isn't it worth telling someone? I had recently had a great visit with Colette Baudet, who has been our international worker for years in Guinea, in Africa. And as we were talking together, uh, she, she made this comment, and I love uh, Colette. We've had lots of great conversations. She says things just straight up as it is. She said, you know what? Uh, lifestyle evangelism, it just doesn't work. And if you're not familiar with lifestyle evangelism, that is kind of a process of building relationships. And once you've kind of earned the person's trust, then you slowly introduce the message of Jesus. And she said, you know what? We've got to stop just doing that. If we stop short of, of sharing the gospel, we just not completely finished. She said, we just got to tell them. <laughs> you know, as we see in the, in the parable of the sower, Jesus said, hey, some are going to reject. Some are going to get excited, but it'll fade really quickly. Some of them are going to respond, but the hardships and the struggles of life He's just going to grind it right back out of them and they won't keep on. But he said some of them are going to respond and they're going to grow and they're going to mature and they're going to reproduce. You know what? If we tell them, we give them a choice and they might choose Christ. And then Paul talks about the reward. He said the cost is worth it. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes on what is not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This life that we're living right now is temporary. Your life today, the things we face, the battles we're fighting, challenging relationships, sometimes feeling like packing it in, opposed by others because of our faith in Christ, whatever they are. So they're temporary. It's going to pass. <laughs> Paul calls these things the light and momentary uh, troubles. He does that, he says, because in light of God has something so much bigger in store for us, eternity. I have a chaplain friend named Jim Turner. He actually recruited me into police chaplaincy almost 20 years ago now. And I remember talking to Jim a short while ago about police officers and the effects of PTSD in their lives. And Jim said, well, what about the chaplains? He said... I've seen and I've been through a lot of stuff with the officers over these years. He's got some soul wounds that he recognizes. And you know, at 70 years old, 30 plus years as a chaplain, 
In three days, he's going to be retiring from the RCMP where he's worked to start another chaplaincy ministry <laughs> with the National Federation of Police. And I thought, 72, I feel, I feel tired. You know, I'm just barely over 60. You know, his last comment to me on the call, talking about his career, he says, Rod, he says, I was just able to lead one of the leading police officers in Canada to the Lord. He said, God didn't put me here to put my feet up. And that challenged me and inspired me. Don't lose heart. Don't turn away. Don't give up. Don't leave the battle. Eternity awaits. You know, in closing, uh, Nikki Gumbel, I, when I used to lead the Alpha Course for many years in, in Fort St. John, Nikki was the speaker in all the sessions. And he told one story about a man named Albert McMakin. Does anybody know Albert McMakin? One person, Rodney, yeah. Albert McMakin was a guy who owned a truck, and he was the employer of Billy Graham. And there was a crusade coming to town, and Albert McMakin wanted Billy and all of his young friends to go to the crusade. And Billy was having no part of it. And so Albert said, well, I'll let you drive. <laughs> and so Billy said, sure, if I can drive, I'll go. And we know the story. Billy went, and after a course of a number of days, he gave his heart to the Lord. And through that, millions and millions of people have heard the message and have responded to the message of Jesus. And so Nikki says, so friends, do you think Albert McMakin gets any credit for all those people who've been reached by Billy Graham. He said, of course he does. Of course he does. We're just part of what God's doing. It's not about us. It's about the gospel getting out. And so I want to just close by saying, when I get back there, the most important legacy that we can leave behind will be written in the hearts of those who come to faith because of us. And so I just want to say, don't let anything stand in your way for Jesus. Never give up.